it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan, 
Peter V.S. Bond explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Sri and Peter. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PVSB, one of the aforementioned CPG Guys. I'm also the VP of Commercial Strategy at Fetch Rewards Mobile Loyalty Platform. I'm particularly intrigued by loyalty and the applications of first-party consumption data in the CPG retail industry. My co-host, he's an expert in omni-channel commerce, and he's fascinated by retail media and digital marketing. Please welcome my ride-or-die, my cohort, my co-conspirator. He's known by the name of Shri. Shri, how you doing, brother? It's that time of the year, Peter. Are you ready for some football? The one thing we agree on, the Giants start... Yesterday was preseason. We actually played the Patriots. Of course, we won't talk about results. So um, let's just get cracking. Pleasure to do this week over with you, man, and can't wait to get to our guests today. How are you just skipping over baseball? Maybe it's because my team is on a big winning streak and yours as well, not so much. But we'll just, you know, it's still baseball season, Games The Yankees were way ahead. For 102 games, the Yankees were way ahead of the Dodgers. I never brought it up. Maybe I brought it up twice, and you just can't let it go. <laughs> you brought it up a lot. You brought it up a lot, brother. All right. Enough. We'll, we'll table that for another conversation, okay? All right. Before we get to our guest, I want to remind our audience that all of our content it can be found by just visiting cpgguys.com. We have a brand new website. It's got all sorts of rich content. We've got a merch store. Everything is there you want to learn about us. We organize all of our episodes by category. Uh, and so sign up there for our forthcoming newsletter, but check everything else on cpgguys.com. And if you're not already following us on LinkedIn, my God, you really should be there. Just open the app, go to the LinkedIn site and enter CPG Guys uh, on the search box. And when you get to our page, just click follow. Uh, we've got lots of great content on Tuesdays. We have the, uh, the Retail Media Minute from Jeff Malmud. We've got the Gildenberg Omnicomment on Thursdays. We've got Fresh Four on Sundays. Lots of content. Just go follow us there. And of course, uh, remember to check out our sister podcast. We've got the FMCG guys over in Europe, which is taking our format to uh, across the pond. Our friends Daniel and Ephraim are taking uh, taking conversations with industry luminaries in fast-moving consumer goods from a European perspective. And of course, the latest addition to the family is the CPG Scoop with Risa and Jennifer, and they're doing more snackable, inspiring components, talking to people in the industry about their experiences. So make sure to check that out. And of course, last but not least, Shri and I are grateful to partner with Next Up, aka Network of Executive Women, whose mission is to advance all women in business and to promote the cause of gender equality and career development. Please visit nextupisnow.org slash cpgguys. Yes, Shri, we have a landing page. To learn more about this great group, and in the middle of every Wednesday episode, you can find an Easter egg on upcoming seminars and events. Shri and I really cut our teeth in the CPG industry uh, through sales roles. Uh, today, we're fortunate to have a guest with similar credentials. He has classic blue-chip CPG experience, having worked 15 years at Procter & Gamble. He led the Walmart customer team at Samsung. He helped turn around the Oneida Group. And... For the last four years, he's been working for Bear, where he now serves as the head of sales, commercial strategy operations for the consumer health division. Please join Shri and me in welcoming to the CPG podcast, 
Chris Heimbach. Chris, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here with you today. Well, we couldn't be more excited to have you. You know, you and I met a couple of months back at a uh, event that was being hosted by my uh, my day job, Fetch Rewards. I saw you speak, and I said I really wanted to have you on the podcast because I thought what you're talking about was incredibly relevant to uh, to what we're trying, the kind of community we're trying to foster and educate around. So, um, thank you so much for doing that. Hey, before we get started with the questions, it would be really helpful. Would you uh, let our audience know first where on the web they can learn more about Bear and just give us a brief overview of what your core responsibilities are in the organization? Yeah, sure. Um, So bear.com, B-A-Y-E-R.com, not the paint company. Sometimes people do get it confused, believe it or not. So Bear Healthcare, we've got three divisions, a pharma division, a crop division, and then obviously a consumer health division, which I work in. And so um, I've got responsibility for obviously the sales organization uh, and most of the customer-facing organization uh, as we work with retail customers like Walmart, Amazon, Target. And then we have a group called Commercial Strategy, which kind of serves as the go-between between between the brands and the customer teams, and then Commercial Operations. And so anything that uh, PS produces that's touched would would hit the the operations team. So think displays, special packs, but also a lot of the processes, you know, PIM and uh, item setup and lifecycle management, those type of things as well. Terrific. That's very helpful. What we're going to do for our audience is you didn't have to write down the site. If you go to the digital liner notes of this podcast episode, and like 90 plus percent of you are listening on a mobile device, just go to the notes section. You'll see a hyperlink to Bear's site and to Chris's LinkedIn uh, profile so you can learn more about him and his background. And you can learn uh, and as you're listening along on this episode. So that sounds great. What we're going to do now is, Chris, let's shift into uh, the conversation and I'll kick it off with our first question. Wallace wanted to kind of know the origin story. So if you want to give us, Chris, an overview of kind of your professional journey, I, I highlighted a couple points, but we'd really love to also, as you're doing that, think of a couple of pivotal points in terms of the skills you're able to build or responsibilities that challenged you that led you to where you are right now. Yeah, so um, I, uh, as you said, spent just over 15 years with Procter and Gamble. Um, couldn't have picked a better place to to begin my career. Um, the best part about that is uh, really the people in terms of the investment that's made. There's really a, it's a promoting culture, and so there's a lot of emphasis in the culture around uh, investing in others, particularly through mentorship and sponsorship and, and whatnot. And I spent about half my career calling on customer teams and about half my uh, career inside Cincinnati working on brand building and innovation. And um, honestly, the biggest uh, thing that stands out was I remember uh, I actually hadn't, I made, I just gotten promoted and made the shift from called an individual contributor role to a team leader role. And there was a a situation that happened with an individual that was a pretty rough situation uh, personally for for the individual. And, um, you know, I learned more going through that and, and the person came out on the other end and, and, and was great and still is to this day, very, very successful. And I knew that uh, much of the job leading people was really um, about others, but that re- reinforced it. And as I look at the things that I've, I'm most proud of in my career, it, it always has to do with the people. It is an awesome responsibility, and that's a key word, managing teams, leading teams. You are the person they go home and talk about. And uh, sometimes that can be good. Sometimes it's probably not. 
Um, and it's tough because, yeah, sometimes I have to make tough decisions for the organization that are best for the org. And so uh, 15 years there, I got to go spend a couple years with Samsung. They were building customer teams for the first time. Previous, they just had basically salespeople and supply people. And as uh, three are familiar with, you know, uh, we got to build a team with insights and um, category management and uh, shopper marketing and, and groups like that. And so it was a great opportunity, really different culture. I uh, learned a ton in that space as well, technology. And, you know, that brand Samsung is pretty incredible. And I ran the Walmart and uh, Sam's team there. And then I went over to work for a small startup or a small turnaround, I should say, um, that's called the Oneida Group. And there were four or five of us from uh, P&G. The company had been bankrupt previously and uh, two amazing brands, Anchor Hawking and Oneida, that had been around over 100 years. But both had been bankrupt uh, separately, came together and uh, went bankrupt together. And uh, so we came in, uh, let a turnaround, uh, got to work with banks and private equity, learned a lot in that space. And uh, we sold that, and uh, at that point, uh, several of us came over to Bear, who at the time had had uh, some rough go of it when they bought Merck um, Consumer Health. They brought the two together and, again, had some um, difficulties and brought in a lot of new leadership with the opportunity to, to build. That's the thing I've, I've really enjoyed in my career most probably is the opportunity to go build and create uh, when things are not working, uh, going to turnarounds. And um, so I've been here for almost four years and love it. Welcome to the show, first of all, Chris. It's a pleasure to meet you. And what are the odds that uh, now we're going to meet up at another location in Boise, Idaho? So that's pretty amazing. And I, for one, actually do remember that the first color TV that I ever watched as a child, this is like God knows how many years ago, right? Like 40 plus years ago, was an Oneida TV. I distinctly remember that back at home in Calcutta, India. That's the TV that my dad bought. And uh, what, what are the? I bet you've never had anybody say that to you, ever, ever. And know that Oneida actually makes TVs as well and TV stands. Um, so let's find out what keeps you up at night, right? Professionally speaking, of course, right? I'm thinking one of those things is actually Amazon and the way they've scaled and how they've changed the game of retail media, etc. So how is Amazon very broadly, the ecosystem, disrupting the value equation for both the brand side, which you represent, as well as the consumer side. Yeah, you know, um, this is pretty well known and, and pretty broad, uh, so it's not a bare secret, but um, profitability in e-com is more difficult, right? Um, as I look at some of the fastest growing channels like Dollar Club and e-com, they're all uh, have higher costs to serve for a lot of uh, a lot of us. And so that's that's the fear that I have, number one, as I look at the P&L of five to 10 years from now. Um, there's no way that we're going to be hold be able to hold margin uh, and deliver for our shareholders if we don't make some major changes. And um, with Amazon, again, they're putting this pressure on other retailers uh, and sucking out the profit. So as Amazon, you know, they work with an algorithm that oftentimes gets to the quote unquote best price in market. Many others like to follow them, and and yet they have different profit responsibility targets for their company than the Amazon retail team does. And so. I believe there's going to be pretty significant profit pressure on the entire industry because Amazon does not have as much profit pressure from their shareholders, uh, at least on the retail side. And, and again, they're getting a little more pressure here and there, but I think that's going to have to change how we go to market. And we're going to have to really rethink what we're doing um, in our value chain. One of the things you know I, I'm really thinking about and, and um, concerns right word, but trying to repair is the example I gave previously where 
shopping to someone's home, shipping to someone's home. If you think about it, when I used to need something, I would keep a shopping list. Um, and, you know, once a week, we would probably go to the grocery store and, and, and get all the things that we need. Nowadays, I, I've got a phone, uh, obviously Samsung, and I can pop on Amazon right now or Walmart Plus and, and order whatever I need. And it's at my house. I don't have to consolidate trips. And so that that cost of all those quote unquote trips that I used to bear, right? I only did it once because it took me time. It took me energy. Now uh, the retailer is paying for that. And then the second piece is the hour I would spend walking up and down the aisles. COVID has flipped it on its head. You know, I just saw Publix today announce that they're doing pickup. Um, and I think pretty much every grocery chain, large grocery chain now is in that game. And it's something I never used before COVID. It was quick and easy to walk in. But we've seen, you know, in my industry, uh, it go from low single digits to mid-teens in terms of percent of people that are, are doing this now. And again, um, from what I see, none of the retailers are making money on pickup and delivery. They're doing it to offset the Amazon effect. And, and I think, you know, things like Instacart, other things have, have grown quickly. That all costs money, right? It, so as a shopper, I love it because I get the convenience. I don't have to keep my trips. I can get it whenever I want it, where I want. And I'm not really paying for it. The amount that I'm paying is nowhere near offset. Retailers are bearing that burden today, but it is already happening and, and will continue to, to push downstream to us suppliers. And so we need to look at the end to end to figure out where the real value is created, take out things that don't matter such that we can ensure that there's a profit a profitable value stream for all entailed. So, Chris, I'd love to hear from you specifically, because um, you talk and I've talked about this previously. What are the real profit centers at Amazon and how are they using them to kind of fuel and invest in other areas that they want to kind of dominate uh, with their capabilities? Yeah, you know, when I first came in the industry, Walmart was the company shaking everything up. They had built super centers, really turned the industry on its head with um, bringing groceries in as a number one trip driver, but used that to bring people into the store to buy the general merchandise, and, and that's where they made their money. And obviously, um, Amazon has uh, been the most recent shakeup in the last decade. And what I find really fascinating is if you look at their P&L and spend some time there, you find they, they just recently, for the first time, started to make profit in what we call the CPG space. And reality is um, most of their money is made in other areas. And, you know, I remember I'm old enough to remember when they started as a bookstore and just sold books online. And uh, and some people would now say they're a technology company. Some might say they're a, a retailer. I think they've created a whole new industry that doesn't exist. And, you know, as you look, um, I remember, again, 10, 15 years ago, meeting with Amazon. And most customers, when you meet with, you have a, a merchant or a buyer and uh, sat down with Amazon and they had three other people in the room that were all part of the media team. And uh, what struck me at that point was they really made their money in different ways. And so obviously they make it in the media side and that's pretty obvious. But then AWS we've been meeting with recently and that side of the house is really fascinating. They're taking on completely different um, competitors uh, versus a traditional Walmart or Target as an example. But they've also, you know, started to do um, shipping uh, is a big part. I think anyone who lives anywhere near an Amazon distribution center, see how big they are. Um, you know, if you look globally, uh, companies like Alibaba, actually, they don't sell direct. They have marketplaces and Amazon has brought that over as well. And so as you look at where they make money, it's, it's not the traditional retail. And so what we talked about before was they're utilizing AWS, they're utilizing media, they're utilizing the fees that they get from marketplace 
to invest um, in in the retail side. And as a result, that's really shifted uh, the way that we need to do business as the way retailers are doing business and really created an upheaval in the industry. You know what, Chris? Click and collect is one of those things which I think across the CPG industry is now north of the 10% benchmark in terms of e-com and things of that nature. I also strongly believe, we here on the CPG guys, Peter and I believe that the future of e-commerce is click and collect. It's actually not D2C, it's not home delivery due to the economics. The economics of click and collect are hard enough, but the convenience that it provides, I think at this stage triumphs everything Everything else. you know, They are the Instacarts of the world, of course, in the home delivery in the home delivery business, but I think those are outliers as opposed to everybody else doing it. In question two, you referred to end-to-end ecosystems. So I'd love to get back to Amazon. And Amazon, of course, has invested very heavily in owning the customer journey end-to-end, right? Can you expand on this for our audience a little bit? And then where do you think they're succeeding? And then how are you personally looking at that and saying, we got to do this for uh, Bayer as well? Yeah, you know, it's it's a great question. As we look at the um, the shopper journey, it's it's completely different than it was 5, 10, 20 years ago for sure, but even five months ago. We find, you know, one of the things I was talking with my Walmart team leader is uh, most consumers still start their journey actually on Amazon.com, even if they don't end there, right? And um, as a Walmart former team leader, I rarely paid attention to Amazon.com beyond what their pricing was. But reality is uh, they start their shopper journey oftentimes to educate themselves on Amazon. And when they get to a, a Kroger.com or a, a Walmart.com in some cases, they are more specifically looking for products. And so um, it used to be I would get the Sunday newspaper. I'd look at the ads. I'd make my decision what where I'm going. I'd walk in the store with the list. But then uh, end caps and other things might change that list a little bit, right? And it was it was relatively easy, two to three uh, trips a week on average. And now, again, I can pop on my phone. I, I'm doing something. I decide to, uh, to buy. So in some ways, that journey has really shrunk because the amount of education and in, in information is so readily available. On the flip side, we're finding in some of our categories, it's overwhelming. And so, um, you know, in some cases, Amazon is simplified. Uh, it's great to go get ratings and reviews of, of peers and whatnot. And I can pop on any SKU and pretty much get it. Uh, I live in New Jersey. I get, can get it sometimes in a day. But on the flip side, the amount of information is overwhelming. And so one of the things I see we can do as an industry is simplify, um, help to orchestrate her, her trip such that she can find the right information. And, and then for companies like yours and mine, what's the point of difference versus some of our competitors? You know, we're, we're science for a better life and we believe most of our products are scientifically better and different. Well, that's sometimes hard when you're shopping a Walmart shelf or name the retailer where you've got a kid in the card and you know, a couple hundred SKUs. Um, e-commerce offers that opportunity to make it simpler to educate. And I also think there's some work we can do with the retailers to make it easier in store. Now that Amazon owns a lot of this information because the shopper journey many times starts there and ends with them. Um, I think the Walmarts of the world, the targets of the world are going to continue to farm their own data to try and get more of that journey understanding. And I think one of the things they could do is actually better utilize it in retail store. Amazon has talked about they, they want to get in the more retail store. You know, they obviously made a pretty large acquisition a few years ago. Walmart, Target, Kroger, they're, they're head in there. And if they can merge this shopper understanding um, from the journey into the store, I think that's a way to win too. I'll remind our audience that we're speaking with Chris Heimbach, Head of Sales Strategy and Operations 
the Consumer Healthcare Division of Bayer. So, Chris, let's talk a little bit more about Amazon um, and the response that's going on in the industry. Obviously, Amazon competitors are looking at all of that they are delivering to uh, consumers, and they're saying, hey, we need to do some of that, too. How are they leaning on, you know, their competitors leaning on suppliers to fund the journey by extracting more value that they can then demonstrate that they've got something competitive to Amazon? How is that putting pressure to a degree on how brands that are selling through these other competitors um, are, are looking to succeed? Really like to get your position on that. Yeah, I would tell you... Um Short term, and you, I've seen this enough in the industry, when things get really rough, they turn to suppliers and, and honestly look for some short-term spend in some cases. So um, with the supply situations, a lot of them have run to uh, significant fines for delivery or lack thereof delivery, I'll, you know, OTIF fines as an example. Other companies have brought in, I would say, consultants, if you will, to to say, all right, you owe me this amount of money because X, Y, Z. But the more sophisticated ones, what they've done is say, all right, how do I go match some of the things that Amazon is doing? Walmart is probably, Walmart, Target are two of the ones that come to mind quickly as their media organizations have really bulked up in terms of the people and the capabilities. Walgreens has spent a lot of money recently. And so the number one thing I see um, is is really the media side. But then we're also seeing things um, other, you know, Walmart has announced recently that they're going to have a direct consumer shipment capability that will go beyond just Walmart. Uh, Walmart has opened up a marketplace. Lots of great answers today from our guest, Chris, from Bayer. We're thankful that you decided to join us. So I want to jump into a very different section. You know, we've hit Amazon quite a bit over here on this episode and e-commerce in general, but let's go after the bigger business, right? There's so much still in store. And uh, of course, we're in the middle of an inflationary period that has now persisted, I would say, a good 18 months and doesn't look like it's ending anytime soon. Although recently in August 2022, we've seen a little bit of the stagflation come by, depending on what categories one does business in. But how is bifurcation of consumer incomes affecting your everyday business overall? Yeah, so um, we tend to sometimes stop at the average. And as you rightly said, with the average, um, you're missing the bifurcation. And so what we're finding is it tends to be the higher income people uh, aren't changing much of their behavior from what we've seen. And even in back in 2008, 10, that time period, if you remember, there were there were a lot of high income people that we didn't actually see change. And, um, and so on the flip side, um, the lower income consumers, that gap keeps growing. And so as companies like ours have these massive inflation uh, on area issues and we have to offset that in, in other ways, that really can hurt potentially the low income consumer. And we're, we're about health for all, hunger for none, not just health for some, right? And so things that we're working on, we have brands that, that tend to appeal to the lower income. Um, you know, Peter, we talked a little bit about fetch. And it's tools like that are give us the opportunity uh, to really target those that are in need and need to get these products. And and many times, I'd say almost every time in the industries I've worked in, low-income consumers aren't looking for cheap products. As a, a great line, cheap uh, cheap is expensive. 
They want the best brands. They want the best science. They want the best healthcare, and we want to give it to them. And so in many cases, it's just reducing the size uh, and the price point, obviously. So offering smaller sizes, opening uh, opening sizes, maybe something just to get them through for a week versus a month of supply. And um, there's some there's some offsets with us, right? Obviously, uh, you know, both a week and a, a month supply is similar packaging and similar labor costs. But on the flip side, it's an opportunity for us to serve the underserved, to get to consumers that we would potentially lose. Um, but it's something we have to continue to push ourselves on because many of us that are making these decisions are not uh, sitting in the shoes of our consumers. And so we're also trying to spend more time listening to our shoppers and what our consumers need. You know, staying on the staying on the theme of value and income and inflation and things of that nature, how is buyer focused on delivering value to the shopper, you know, either directly you refer to fetch could be one of those things, or which is of course indirectly through retail customers. And then how does measurement actually drive the allocation for you of how you choose to drive value? Yeah, I'm going to start with the end there um, because it's really where we start and that's ROI and measurement. Um, we were already running this direction pre COVID, but uh, with the economy going the way it is, ROI is even more critical and um, we have made a pretty big shift just four or five years ago. Much of our sales organization was uh, rewarded on just gross sales. And while share is still important um, to, to have a long term, you need to continue to invest. We, we've got to have profitable sales. And so we've shifted there. And so we have uh, a lot of our organization is focused now on trying to get ROI as quickly as possible. We used to get an annual review like MMX or MMM, you know, once a year. And now we're trying to move to the daily, if you will, to get much faster on the response. And on the media side in particular, we are much faster. But on the consumer side with, with our retailers, I should say, with, with trade spend, if you will, we're getting much finer and, and better understanding there as well. And one of the pieces that's, I'd say, throwing this up in the air a little bit is going back to earlier conversation is this customer media piece. Getting a lot of pressure from our customers to invest there, um, understandably so. We do tend to see better ROIs there, but we've got to figure out how uh, it's not necessarily always an and. We have a lot of really poor spends that we're, we're doing. And so if we can get better ROIs, going back to your earlier question, it gives us the opportunity to really target the consumers that need it. You know, if, if you and I walk into a store uh, just three, five years ago, oftentimes retailers would have the same price point for you and I. And now with things like Fetch and Ibotta and digital coupons, we can utilize this great data that, that we have and, and that is available in the industry to understand, you know, maybe you don't have a, a newborn and, let, and neither do I, but let's say, you know, old world, we'd get a new newspaper coupon and we get a, a Pampers ad uh, and a coupon, which is a waste for Pampers, right? But now using things like Fetch, you'll know that I don't have a baby. And so you don't have to spend your, your money or your time talking to me. Um, and, and so I think though that's the wave of the future. We're already doing it in, in digital media. Again, five, 10 years ago, we were 100% national television and now it's completely flipped and, and we're very heavy in digital. I've been challenging my organization on the sales side. We have to get some more similar, this one-to-one -one personalization of quote unquote trade spend um, to figure out how to get better ROIs and better serve the, the needs of the shopper where she's at when she's there. How awesome. I love that you talked about real, you know, daily measurement. You're very, you're looking at um, optimizing your media spend even further and, um, 
that results me, and then you refer to Fetch as one of those opportunities. So let's just dive a little bit into Fetch as our last question for today, which is you are, of course, you have, of course, chosen to be a partner in the Fetch Rewards mobile loyalty platform. What feature, there's a data element, of course, that you've already alluded to, but what features intrigued you to enter this ecosystem? And then how does that overlay with many of the other, you dis, you described Ibotta as well, which is probably more Walmart-centric, but how does that kind of overlay with some of your national consumer engagement mechanisms you already have in play in the marketplace? Yeah, you know, getting real simple, um, I'm going to go back to something I learned as, you know, growing up is consumer's boss. And our, you know, uh, yeah, but oftentimes what happens is uh, things get in the way. And going back to this value stream analogy of like what adds value and what doesn't, there are things that manufacturers and retailers do or want that don't add value to the shopper, right? And what struck me was when Wes, uh, you know, sat down, he, he described a story where he had to go uh, carry around his keychain four different um, little cards to quote unquote get the value at the retailer. That's not consumer back. And that's what I really liked about Fetch was it's direct one-to-one. I have it on my phone. It's an app direct. I can get the value wherever I'm at. I'm, I'm traveling right now, uh, as I know you travel a lot as well, and you know, trying to keep track of all the different rewards that these retailers have is, is difficult, whereas Fetch travels. And again, it doesn't just have to be Fetch. There are other ones out there. But what I really like is it's a conversation. It's a direct it's a direct line to the shopper. And um, for us, particularly with what's been going on in the last couple of years, she's changing faster than ever. And um, if we have a platform where we can see and understand what she's doing um, without all the things in the way, even, even myself, right? I, I have consumer researcher, shopper research. I want them talking directly to the shopper without my bias so that we can understand and guide. And that's where things like smaller sizes so we can hit the price points, or maybe we're finding certain areas of the country are having higher elasticity certain times a year, right? With COVID, it's been a wave. It seems to start in the coast and go to the middle. Well, that's that's changing. And, and again, we can see all that right now if we utilize the data to, to understand where she's at. And so maybe we want to spend more money for things like Instacart when COVID spikes, as an example, to keep people healthy versus going in a store. On the flip side, you know, as um, cough colds hit and it used to be seasonal for us and now it's every day, we may have to offer opportunities for everyone to get cough cold at the right uh, value for them every day of the year versus just during the fall and, and the spring, as an example. Same with allergies. So um, I love anything that gets me a better unrestricted voice to what the shopper needs. And then th- those that respond quickest, I find win long term. How well said, you know. Jumping right on to unrestricted voice, what a key word. You know, we're going to reuse that word many times on the CPG, guys. I hope that's okay. Unrestricted voice is exactly what it is that all of us should be kind of deep diving and talking about, right? So, but what a power-packed episode, folks. You know, thank you for your candidness, Chris, and talking to us a lot about Amazon, your own professional journey where you gave us the example right up, right up top of how an individual experience that you had very early in your career shaped how close you want to be with people, managing people and delivering value for all of them, which is fantastic. We took a, I wasn't expecting a chief customer officer to get into shipping optimization, which I thought was pretty cool, where you gave actual examples using California, my home state, which happens to be the farthest out there. Perfect example for a candidate for shipping optimization. You didn't hesitate to get into retail media when we poked which was uh, which was awesome 
And we also talked value and the current inflationary period for the consumer. And last of all, how the Fetch Rewards platform is actually very liberating and unconstraining for you. So thank you for all the power-packed uh, details you gave us on the show. We're happy that you chose to come here and talk to us on the CPG, guys. You're always welcome. Hopefully, we'll follow up in six months and see how things are going for you at Bayer. That's great, and uh, I really appreciate the time today. And uh, shoot, we'll have to uh, catch up uh, next week in Boise. I can't wait. You know, At the time of this recording, both Chris and I are headed in our day jobs to the ba- Boise Open, and we're going to uh, catch up about all these topics as well. So much more to come. Let me remind our audience that all of our content can be found easily by going to a web browser and typing cpgguys.com. Make sure to follow us on LinkedIn. All you got to do is go to the search bar, type CPG Guys, and you'll hit the blue plus button, which is also follow us. Thank you to the approximately 15,000 of you on LinkedIn that follow us day in and day out. All the love you send us, the amount of direct messages you send out about how to shape the show, what content you want, as well as what you think about our show. One other easy way to do it, all you got to do is go to our website, leave us a rating and a review. The rating tells us, are we getting what you ask for right? The review tells us, is the audience that we bring in the topics we talk about being right? And generally, if you're in the community, you're in CPG, if you feel you have some leadership to contribute to our community discussion, like the one we just had with Chris, drop us an email at contact at cpgguys.com, and maybe you can actually be here on the podcast. I want to say thank you to Chris again, and that's a wrap for this episode of the CPG Guys. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.